Aren't you so glad that you have been adopted into the family? That we didn't have to work our way to it. We did nothing to deserve it. And for some reason, he thought you were good enough to be a child of of God. And I'm so glad. Um, I've heard it said that I'm glad that he chose us before the foundation of the world because if it would have been afterwards, he might have not picked me. So I'm so glad. Um, some of you might may have noticed that uh, that Jim is not doing worship right here. His spot is clear. His chair is no no longer there. He had been sitting there for a long time um, because his back um, was really bad. And so uh, a week and a half ago, he had surgery on his back. And so he will be out for six, about six weeks. Even though he's sitting right there and he looks taller than he's looked in a long time. Because he's like, whoa. He's doing really well. Uh, the surgery went really well. Continue to pray for his recovery. Continue to pray for him because he's like every other man. Oh man, I feel great. And then it's like, you know, we go and hurt ourselves once again. So just pray for him. Because he's just as stubborn as the next guy. And we love him dearly and we want him to get well. Okay, Jimbo? (laughs) Pray for his wife, too. (laughs) Because she has to baby him. And I'll stop right there because she's just mean. But be that as it may, we have gotten to the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. It has only taken us eight studies to get here from chapter 5, got done with chapter 6 last week, and it will probably take us a couple more studies to be finished with the Sermon on the Mount, but it has been an incredible, incredible series um, being in that that portion. So, so we are in part 9 of the series that I've called the Kingdom Ethics. Um, But it is a sermon that Jesus has been teaching his disciples, his followers. And I hope that you've been understanding this, that this sermon was not meant for the world. It wasn't meant to to use as an evangelistic tool, although it can be. But he is pointing everything that he's talking about to his followers, to, to those who were sitting right in front of him because they had already received the kingdom of heaven. They heard the message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They received that. And so now they're being taught how to, how to walk in this. I, I, I love the fact that Jesus not only saved us, And we are now and forever will be in the kingdom of heaven. But I love the fact that he taught us and is teaching us, his disciples, how to live in his kingdom. He didn't let us just try to figure it out on our own, try to read his mind as to what he expects from us. He didn't do that. He gave us his kingdom these kingdom ethics to live by. 
These are the standards, the, the, the principles, the morals that he has set up. And he has every right to set these things up because he is King Jesus and it is his kingdom. And when you become king and you have your own little kingdom, then you can set up your own uh, ethics. You can set up your own morals and your own principles. But this is not your kingdom. It is his kingdom and he is our Lord. And he has set it up the way he desires. And so we don't get to make the rules. We just get to follow the rules. And like I've shared with you before, man, his rules and his, his, his ethics that he has set up for us goes against our very being, the very fiber of our being. It goes against our nature because he has said things in this portion of scripture in the sermon to his believers that we were ourselves would not have set up for our kingdom. We would not have set up those kinds of ethics. But he has. And he has every right to. So, chapter 7. We're going to cover from verses 1 to 12. I know that your bulletin says 11. We're going to go to verse 11. But once I started studying it, it's like, I'm going to go to verse 12. And I'm going, ah, oh, another 10 minutes. Don't worry. Like we shared last week, there's nothing to worry about here. We'll get through this. Don't judge me. Verse 1. Judge not <laughs> that you be not judged. For with, what, with, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but not, but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, it will be opened. For what man is there among you who, if a son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Father, please bless your word, even as we've read it already. Lord, we ask that God, you would just speak and just help me in delivering, Lord God, what's on these, what's in this text, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, I will not start off this morning by asking a question as I did last week. It was a participation question that everybody was to participate in, but I won't do that this week. But I will take you back to chapter 5, to one of the verses that, that I've shared with you as we've been going through this portion of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, that I think it is a vital message for us to understand and to be ingrained into, in, into our hearts because it reminds us of the contrast that Jesus is making here between those who were in charge and those who were now following Him. The Pharisees and His disciples. And there's a contrast that He has been making throughout the Sermon on the Mount that He kept on kind of going back to. But it's in verse 5, verse 20 where it says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, you could you could imagine as the people, the common people who are sitting in front of him that day and listening to Jesus teach them about this kingdom and the ethics that he has for them. You could imagine them when they hear that portion going, how could I ever exceed the righteousness of these guys? They, they look the part, they act the part. All these things, and but yet he's saying, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so he's he's making this this contrast that what they were saying and doing is different than what he sees, because he 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 these guys had these outward actions, but he was going for the inward intentions of the heart, and he kept on going against them. In this, And so it's a really important verse for us to understand as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. I wanted to remind you of this verse once again because of the subject that we will be covering this morning, and that is judging. You see, this was something that the scribes and the Pharisees were known for. And sometimes, and, and it was something that they did often, and they were good at their judging and their judgments towards other people. And they really didn't mind that the people knew about that, how critical and how judgmental they were, because what they really wanted was the people to kind of be afraid of them in that sense because of the way they judged. And the people didn't want to be in their crosshairs, if anything. And so they didn't want to cross them. They didn't want to do stuff in front of them. But they were getting judged all the time regardless because they weren't good enough. And that's where the Pharisees put themselves at. That they were better than everybody else. And in that, they were making these judgments continually. And so Jesus wanted to address this issue before he finished the sermon that he has been given to them. Again, it didn't take him nine weeks to deliver this message like it's taken me. But in their sitting, however long it took for him to, to share with them what was on his heart to teach them, he wanted to, to, to kind of share this portion of, of judging towards the end of his message so that it would be fresh in their mind as they left. 
And they would remember this topic and the difference and the contrast that he was making between them, those who were following him now, and those religious leaders. And what I found ironic as I was studying this, <laughs> as we talked about the Pharisees and the scribes, what I found ironic was the fact that the Christian church is also known for being judgmental. It's something that we do, that we often do. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we're really good at that. Now, Jesus is not saying, and please don't misunderstand the Scriptures here, Jesus is not saying that there is no room or no place for judging. He is just saying, be really careful how you do it. Because this is where Christians can often take the high moral ground and they're so quick to judge people instead of looking at themselves first and foremost. And we end up looking like Pharisees and scribes and looking down on everybody else because we are now in this other group and we are now Christians and he's saying be careful because in the way that you judge you will be judged. Now I would say that the majority of non-Christians the people the that people would say among the non-Christian, the non-believer, people would say that Christians are very judgmental. And in some respects, that is true. That is the way they view us. You might not want to admit that, but that's the way non-Christians look at Christians, that we're very judgmental. Now, because we are to be salt and light, and we are called to do good works, in the world, and we don't often live up, live up to those things, the non-Christian, the, the world, would, would, would also say that we are very hypocritical because we preach one thing and, and do another. And in some respects, that is true as well. And again, we hate to admit those things. But that is the truth so often. But what I find fascinating this morning in our text is that, that Jesus is not talking about what the world thinks about us. <laughs> We're looking at what Jesus is saying to His disciples. He's not saying, hey, this is what, what people think of you. He's talking to His disciples and saying, don't be this. Don't look like this. Don't act like this. So he's not saying what, what people are saying from the outside. He's, he's telling us, his disciples, don't judge that you be not judged. Because in the same way that you judge, you will be judged. In the same measure that you give out, it will be given back to you. He says, don't do this to one another. 
That's what he's saying. You see, this is what the, the Pharisees, the Jewish Pharisees were doing to the Jewish people. And Jesus wanted his ethics, his standards, his principles, his morals that are part of his kingdom to be different than that of the world or even the religious community. He wanted us to be different. And he says, don't do this to one another. And so verses 1 and 2, as, as, as we kind of camp there for just a little bit, I want to read them to you through the Amplified Bible. Verses 1 and 2, through the Amplified, it says, Do not judge and criticize and condemn others, so that you may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourself. For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you will be judged, criticized, and condemned, and in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, it will be dealt out again to you. Kind of amplifies it a little bit more. (laughs) Because that word judge means to distinguish, i.e. decide mentally or judicially by implication to try, condemn, and punish. That's from the Strong's. That's, that's what it means. That's what this word judge means. But it also carries the implication to call to question, to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. Again, Jesus is not saying that we are not to judge. We are to make judgments all day long as Christians. We make judgments all the time. About every little thing in our life, we make judgments. Should we do this or not do this? Is this right or wrong? We make judgments constantly. So he's not saying we can't judge. He's just saying be careful on how you do do. I was going to say do do. Um, Be careful how you do that. (laughs) You see, Christian... Being a Christian is not about being blind to everything around us. Because Christian love is not blind. We are not to believe everything that we hear from so-called people who claim to be spiritual. We need to make judgments. We are to test everything. Everything we hear. Even here. You have to test these things. You make judgments always. If we are not making judgments and we're just believing everything we hear from everybody we hear, then there will be so much confusion going on in our lives. And so we have to make judgments constantly, all the time. The Apostle Paul exhorts us in Philippians, and I'm going to give you guys some scriptures today, so make sure you're writing these things down. The Apostle Paul in in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And so we are being exhorted through the Scriptures that we would excel or, or abound more and more in, in, in what is uh, in the knowledge and all discernment. 
that we may approve, we may judge all things. And so we are to make judgments, discern, make, discern things that, that are right and wrong, good and bad, righteous and evil all day long. Because everything's hitting us all day long. And so we have to make those kinds of discernments. But there's, there's a difference between being discerning and being condemning. Especially when it comes to people. <laughs> Again, we, 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 we make judgments about people all the time. But we need to be careful how we come across when we make those those discernments in the body of Christ. With what spirit are we discerning? Is there any truth and love behind what we're doing? Or do we already come into looking at somebody and already being prejudiced about them? We've already cast judgment about them. We have no clue who they are or where they come from. But we cast the judgment on how they look oftentimes. How they speak oftentimes. And right away we make these judgments in our head. And it happens that quick as we're making judgments about people. And so we need to be careful what kind of spirit we have when we're doing that. Is there any truth? Is there any love attached to it? We are always to be thinking critically and analytically. But be careful that we are not critical and analytical. There's a huge difference between that. I I, I would hope that when you come to church and you listen to me, one of the studies that I give or a sermon or one of the other pastors that's teaching here, you I, I would think that you would come in and be thinking critically. Is it biblical? Biblical? Is it textual? Is it sound? Instead of being critical. <laughs> There's a difference. Tearing apart the the pastor <laughs> being critical about what is said and what is not said. Oh, think critically. Don't be critical. And I, I remember teaching a study on this, uh, something similar to this about how how it's funny. Well, that's not funny, but it's funny that you guys make judgments of the pastor every week. <laughs> he judges every week, and I understand it. You walk away going, eh, it wasn't that good today. Eh. He didn't hit it all out of the ballpark today. Eh. Struck out. I fell asleep on him. He was that boring. You know, and it's funny because we make these kinds of judgments all the time, and that's understandable. But be careful with that, you know. <laughs> Think critically, but don't be critical. Now, the best way to enter into the subject of judging others, the best way to do this is to first judge ourselves. Because if we are more critical in judging ourselves, 
we will more than likely be less critical in judging other people if we're critical with ourselves. Romans 2, 1, in the New Living Translation, says it like this. You may think you can... Con- you may think you can condemn such people. But you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same thing. Now, I understand that he is kind of talking about those outside the church in this respect. But he says, be careful how you judge even those outside the church. Because some some of you are caught up in the very same sins, but it looks uglier on them. Or it looks, yeah, it looks uglier on them than it does on you. Be careful, he says. Who do you think you are judging somebody else? Because you see, we really don't want others to judge us the way we normally judge others. We don't want them to do that. Because sin does always, especially like the kind of sins that we get caught up in, they always look worse on other people than they do on us. (laughs) Oh, jeez, how appalling. And when they judge us the same way we would do to them, when they are more critical and more harsh of us, because they would never be that critical and harsh about themselves. We don't like it when people judge us. And and you're going, you don't really even know me. But again, their sin (laughs) looks worse on us as well. But they're judging. And it's interesting because the parallel verse that would go along with what we're covering in our text right here would would be in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. It sounds similar, but there's a difference there. It says, judge not that you shall not be judged, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Measured, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And it's interesting because within the Christian community, those of you guys who, who know that portion of Scripture, there, in verses 37 and 38 of Luke, chapter 6, oftentimes we quote chapter 30, uh, 20, uh, verse 20, 20, ah, 38. We, we quote that one. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measured, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom, for in the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And we often forget the verse right before that, where he says, be careful, (laughs) judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. He's telling us, check yourself before you do anything else. But we like the other part. It's like, well, give, and it will be given to you. It's like, yes. But before that, he says, don't judge. If you don't want to be judged. And so what it's truly saying is 
that not only are we going to be judged at the end by God, but people are judging us every day right now. And we will receive exactly what we give out. If you're a critical person, people are probably thinking very critical of you, but might not say it to your face. In other words, the kind of judgment and the kind of measure of judgment that that we are so readily to give will come right back to us. We reap what we have sown. There, there are some Christians who just love being brutally honest. And their motto basically is, well, I just tell it like it is. I just call it like I see it. And let the chips fall where they may. And so they're so good at that. But God forbid that somebody tell it like it is about them to their face. Like they're so readily to tell somebody what they're thinking. But when they when it comes back to them, it's like, oh my God. Well, I never. Well, you shouldn't have in the first place. You shouldn't have. In verses 3 to 5, he begins to give us this illustration where it says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite? First remove the plank from your own eye that you may see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Notice the word brother there. Notice the, the, the word brother that, that, that is embedded right there. Because he was addressing those who he had been teaching that day, his disciples, his followers. He is talking to them. He is not telling his disciples how they were to deal with those outside the church. And so here, here again, he's making the contrast between the way the Pharisees had been doing things and what he expected from his disciples, that it would be vastly different, totally different. And that he expected his disciples to treat one another different. That they were not to treat one another like the, the scribes and the Pharisees treated the people, their own people. Now it's interesting that Jesus uses the, 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 the eye as an example because it's a very sensitive part of your body. It's very sensitive. And even the smallest speck that is in there that does not belong there, any foreign object that gets stuck in your eye, man, it's, it's the worst. You know, those, those of you who wear contacts, for a time I wore one contact, I have one jacked up eye. And when it went wonky in, inside there, you know, <laughs> that now it's a, it, it went in there, it shouldn't have, it's crazy that you would do something like that, but... But you put it in there and it helps you see. But when it gets folded and it gets like back by your brain, 
It's the worst. It's the worst, man. It's like, come on. Getting the fire, come on, squirting the stuff in there, man, to trying to get that sucker to move and, and come out and stuff. It's like, man, but you get you get a, a piece of lint or, or, or a speck or something. It's like, ah, ah. It, 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 just, it just messes with you, you know? Your eyes watering. It's doing all it can to get something out. But when you have something in there that you can't seem to get out, and you're going to other people, like, trying to get it out, and they can't, and so you eventually go to the eye doctor because it's like, no, serious, man, this is serious. Get that thing out of there. Can you imagine if the doctor comes out with a big old pole sticking out of his eye? Oh, let me see here. Let me see here how, how I can get this speck out of your little eye. You're going, whoa, Doc, hey, man, there's something wrong with you. How, how do you expect him to do something to you if, if there's something that, that's beaming out of his eye? You know, it's like. As Christians, we are called to come alongside one another. We are called to, to come and lift one another up. We are called to be there and to help one another. And in order to do that, it is way easier if we have judged ourselves first, we've taken that plank, that beam, that timber, <laughs> as the word is in the, in the Greek, a stick of timber, we are to take that out of our own eye first, so that we can go, hey, bro, let me, let me take care of that for you. Because right now I know that you can't see clearly. And there's definitely something that's in your eye and you can't see straight. And then you have more patience, more opportunity to get close up and take the speck out of your brother's eye. But when we don't judge ourselves first, we end up hurting one another. Why? Because we have this big old thing sticking out of our eyes. Like, here, let me help. <laughs> and they're going, dude, stop. Stop. It hurts too much. And, and we have people getting hurt because we haven't even judged ourselves and we end up going like, like turning around. It's like a Three Stooges thing, you know, <laughs> and knocking everybody down the plank, you know, kind of going all over the place. You have people kind of falling down all around you because you have this plank that's sticking out of your eye and so you're just so judgmental because you haven't even looked within and seen, Lord, what's wrong with me? Why are people avoiding me? Why are people trying to stay away from me? Well, could it be because you have this, this plank sticking out of your eye and you keep on being so judgmental and so critical with one another instead of looking into yourself and going, Lord, help me take this beam out of my eye, man, because I can't even see clearly. I can't even see. I'm so blinded by this thing. Because you notice the word here in verse 5, hypocrite. He's not addressing the, 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 uh, the Pharisees with this word. He's addressing his own people, the people that were sitting in front of him. He's saying, if you don't judge yourself right now, you're a hypocrite because you're going out there and you're judging everybody and you have this telephone pole sticking out of your own eye. And there's no way that you can help anybody else right now. And we are called to come alongside one another, to lift one another up, to serve one another. 
because he's making this accusation, not to the, 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 the Pharisees, but to the followers who were not willing to judge themselves, but were so willing to judge other people. And, and I know that this illustration that he gives us here in verses 3, 4, and 5, it, it, it sounds so absurd that there would be this beam sticking out of somebody's eyes. But he's using this illustration. He, he's using the, the absurdity of not judging yourself before you judge others. And so he's using absurdity to, under, to help us understand what's absurd in our lives, that we would not judge ourselves. Now, I, I know that I've shared this with you in our time in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and that is that the Sermon on the Mount throughout my Christian life has helped me be less judgmental. Notice I said less judgmental. <laughs> because I still judge. I still have issues with that. But it has helped me to not take the high moral ground so readily as I could easily do. When I see a brother or a sister caught up in something and it's like, how dare they? I would never. And again, going back to when Jesus was upping the ante, when he says, you've heard it said of old, but now I say to you. And he's saying, it's not so much the, the outward actions as it is the inward intentions that are going on. And why we should not be so readily to take the high moral ground. Because our hearts, especially when we're not like checking ourselves, judging ourselves first and foremost, we're so readily to judge. Because all too often, I have this huge telephone pole sticking out of my eye. And then I drape it and I clothe it with false humility, oftentimes. Thinking that I'm helping others all the while I'm hurting them. And I end up looking exactly like the Pharisees. I end up standing around like they did, just judging and criticizing others to make themselves look good. And don't we all like to make ourselves look good and look other people make other people look bad? Now we do that all the time. It's a struggle. And so he's telling his his followers, "Don't be hypocrites, man." These are heavy lessons that he has been teaching us here. And we really truly need to comprehend that. Because when we look at verse 6 where he says, And do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now we look at that verse, for those of you guys who, who know that verse, we look at that verse and we always use that verse in reference to those who are lost. To the non-believer. To those who, who don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, the gospel, or Christianity. And we often say, well, we shouldn't cast our pearls before swine. But can I suggest to you 
that if you're really taking this in context here, that he's speaking to you and I. He's talking about us. He's talking to, to, to the saved here, to the believer, to his disciples, to those who have already received the kingdom of heaven, and he's talking to us, his sheep. And could it be? Is it, is it possible? Is there a probability No problem, bro. Okay. Okay. I had a feeling. Okay. Let's pray for her right now. Father, we do pray for Doris right now. We do pray, God, that whatever is happening right now, that you would just be with uh, this family as they have to leave right now. Watch over them, Lord. Protect them. And just strengthen them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Even though we are called his sheep, is it possible that even as his sheep, we can turn into dogs and hogs in no time flat? And that which is holy and precious can and will be trampled on, upon, by those who are supposed to hold it in high regard. Is it possible that we, as His sheep, as His believers, as His disciples, can so readily turn into dogs and hogs and begin to hurt one another? And cut, it, cut each other in pieces. That's who He's talking to. He's not talking about the lost here. He's talking to you and I. Turn, turn over to James chapter 4. I, I, I want to show you this portion of Scripture and read to you from verse 1 to verse 12 because it shows us that as Christians we can be just as vicious as the world because we all have it within us to do that. We can all be dogs and hogs to hurt each other. Verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Why do you war and fight... Why do wars and fights come? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure? That war in your members. You lust and do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, resist, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, you sinners, 
and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned in, uh, to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you are, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? That sounds pretty brutal because James was reading or writing to the church. <laughs> he wasn't writing to the non-believer there. It, it, it is so easy to do this with one another. To turn on one another. To tear each other in pieces. And so Jesus is saying, I don't want that to happen among my, my people that are in my kingdom. I want unity, not division. I want peace, not war. In my kingdom, that's what he is saying. I get to set the rules, and he's setting the rules for us. And again, why do we continue to do these things? Oftentimes, because we have not taken the log out of our own eye. Oftentimes, because we're so readily to judge other people within the church. So Jesus, once again, he gives his followers, his disciples, the remedy. The antidote, if you will, on how to keep kingdom ethics that he has set up for those who have received the kingdom of heaven. And in verses 7 through 11 is the remedy. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and he who knocks, it will be open. For what man is there among you? If a son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, once again, the, the Amplified puts, puts 7 and 8 in, in its proper tense, which is in the present tenses of the verb keep on. Verse 7 says, keep on asking and it will be given you Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently and the door will be opened to you for everyone who keeps on asking receives and, and he who keeps on seeking finds and he who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. And notice once again that he uses the word will or, or in some translations in the King James translation shall he uses that word will, which carries with it the foregone conclusion that whatever you are asking for in a matter of time, if you keep on asking, if you keep on seeking, if you keep on knocking, you will get if you keep on. And so what 
<clears throat> are we asking, seeking, and knocking for? What we've covered this morning from verses 1 through 6. Topic of judging. We have the tendency, the propensity, the bent to judge others way more harshly than we would ever judge ourselves. And so we are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock for the wisdom of God on how we are to judge ourselves before we can ever judge anybody else. Because we are to serve, not hurt one another. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He will not sell you short. He will not hold back. Again, we all have issues in judging. We judge all the time. Some of you guys are judging. How long is he going to go? Don't judge me. <laughs> we always have issues in this app. And he says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking reverently. Lord, help me. Help me not to be so critical. Help me not to be so judgmental about everything and everybody around me. Because guys, we struggle with this every day. We have to make judgments every day. And there's people in our lives every day. If you, he says, as fathers, as mothers, as humans, as parents, you being evil. It's interesting that he does that to us. He's looking at the people and he's like, and if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father, how much more will he give you good things? How much more will he do that? That was pretty brutal. <laughs> But he loved them so. And he's saying, man, if you, being evil, know how to do that, how much more your father? And I love the way that Luke shared this portion. Because if you, he says in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, Lord. Please fill me today. I need to be so filled with your Holy Spirit today. Because I'm going to go meet up with people. Because I'm going to meet up with situations. So I need to be filled once again with your Holy Spirit. Guys, we need this constantly. What a good gift that He gives us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And I will leave you with this with verse 12. But I want to read it to you through the Amplified, which is called the Golden Rule. So then, whatever you desire that others would do to and for you, even so do to also to and for them. 
For this is sum up the law, for in this sum up the law and the prophets. Let's pray. (laughs) Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for being so brutally honest with us today. To share this portion of scripture with us today, Lord, you know us all too well. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just help us to receive what this text has told us this morning about us personally. God, that that, that the things that we have battled with and continue to battle with, Lord God, as far as judging (laughs) everything around us, Lord, that we would be careful in how we do that. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring conviction upon my brothers and sisters, Lord, that your word has done that work already in preparing us for this. As we walk out these doors, Lord God, and we battle the world, (laughs) that we would be careful how we treat one another. That we would be able to lift one another up and encourage one another and come alongside one another and quit being so critical of one another, Lord. Help us, Lord, in that. Pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. We all battle this, Lord. Every one of us. And I pray that you would forgive us. That you would teach us as we ask, as we seek, and as we knock. That your Holy Spirit would fill us afresh. That we would desire that day in and day out, Lord. Please help us, Father. Lord, I I do pray, God, for anybody who is in this room right now, Lord, who has come today to hear a message like this, that, again, it's not evangelistic, Lord God, but they have come here and they're realizing, Lord God, that they don't have you in their life. And they realize that, that you have set up a kingdom that's different than what the world has been teaching them. And they've been just tore up. <laughs> and maybe they've seen what the church has done. And that's why they haven't accepted you, Lord. But this morning, I pray that you would break down every wall. And so if you're here this morning, and you've come because you were invited and you hear a message like this, and you've battled that just in your own life, and you have no one else to help you, but today the Holy Spirit wants to come in and give you rest and peace. Is there anyone this morning that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? That you would just raise your hand right where you're at. Amen. That, that, That you just need the Holy Spirit in your life. Father, I pray, God, that you would just truly those who, who right now in their hearts, Lord God, and those who have raised their hand, are saying, I need you. I need you, Lord. Maybe they've been believers for so long, Lord God, and right now with a message like this, they just felt like they needed you more than ever. And so, Lord, come in afresh and new. And if, there, if there's anyone, Lord, who is in a place, Lord God, that's, that they're just desiring to be born again, that you would do that in their hearts right now. Thank you, Lord. We do praise you and thank you for all that you've done, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we...